but for this morning, back in late July, early August, Connie and I were going with our trailer over to Sun River to hang out for two weeks. And on our way, I told Connie that Derek asked if I wanted to preach, if I wanted to preach on my last Sunday, September 25th. And I said, uh, I don't know. At first I told Derek, no, I don't think so. I don't think I would be up to it. Um, but then, you know, we were driving and I said, Connie, I, I don't know uh, whether I should or not. I said, Connie, if I do preach, what should I preach on? And her comment solidified in my mind what I needed to do, which obviously was to preach. See, when Connie speaks, I listen. <laughs> what, what, what's with the laughter? Well, sometimes I listen. A few times. Something tells me in retirement. <laughs> in retirement, I'm going to have more opportunity to practice listening. But at that moment, what came out of her mouth, it was just like, that's it, God. I am to preach, and this is what I'm going to preach on. That is, run the race to the end. It works. It fits. It's good. This is in Scripture. We see this uh, uh, metaphor in Scripture by the Apostle Paul, the writer of a lot of our New Testament books, several places about running the race to the end. A metaphor is, is a device used by a speaker or a writer to communicate a, a complex or a difficult subject. I mean, a, 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 he takes a simple subject to build a bridge to communicate a more difficult, complex, often an abstract subject that's harder to grapple with or to understand. And so Paul uses this idea that his listeners and his readers there in Corinth would understand because they were well-versed in the Olympics and the Isthmian Games. Uh, it was built into the culture, just like it is into ours, that early on they would build a discipline for their children to, for athletic pursuit. And so he uses this metaphor by saying, live life like you are running a race. But now before you check out on me, saying, I can't possibly go any faster. The race Paul is talking about is not measured by speed. It's measured by depth. In fact, by going too fast, you lose ground. You are closer to the end of the race that Paul is talking about by not going faster, but slower. The section of Scripture that I'm focusing my thoughts on, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, let me read those two to you. 
Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This morning, I have something to say about running, racing, and ending or finishing. I'm going to first respond to a statement that I've heard a lot of people express about running. And then I have two questions, one question about racing and one question about finishing. So first, the statement about running. I've heard people say, I hate running. Nobody is going to make me run then let me ask you a question. Why are you running? Why are you running? It's not a question whether you like running or not. It's a question what motivates you to run. I'm no longer a runner. I see a great pastor Ben, my running partner for a good many years. And uh, I, too, Ben, have given up running. My, my knees um, and my physical therapist, not actually it was my doctor. I'm pointing to Troy down here, a physical therapist, um, suggested my giving up that pounding of the pavement. Uh, you know, so I gave up running because my knees don't like it. However, if I'm out backpacking, like Jake and Riley and Ben and Christy out backpacking and all of a sudden a bear comes after me. (laughs) Now despite all the experts tell me to play charades with the bear, to fall down and pretend that you're dead, I get this knee-jerk reaction. And I just take off running, despite the pain in the knees. Do you want to see some of the fastest people running who say they don't like to run? Go to Best Buy, electronic store, about 5 a.m. the morning, the day after Thanksgiving, when the door opens to the Black Friday sales. All of a sudden, all these uh, people who told you that they can't run, it's amazing the speed at which they can go down those aisles. The issue is not whether I'd like to run, but what motivates me to run. Because running that Paul talks about is not done with your legs, but with your mind. Running is about values. In life, 
Running is inevitable. You will either run from something or to something. That is why Paul uses a rhetorical question here to start with in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run? Well, duh. Everybody knows that. Paul's asking this question because he knows his audience is well-versed with it, that they could connect and uh, understand the truth of what he's saying. But he's going to tell them about something more difficult. Now, the danger in using a metaphor is trying to extract other meanings out of it, to say something beyond what the author is focused on, his primary purpose for use of the metaphor. Paul is not saying here when he says, but only one receives the prize. He's not saying that you have to run so fast to beat one another. Because there's only one prize. Only one person can receive the prize. Because when you look at the totality of Scripture, it speaks just the opposite. We are to help one another. He uses the rhetorical question to express his main idea in this whole passage when he says, so run. So run in such a way. This is how you are to live life. In this way, with this kind of focus, with this kind of uh, level of participation and engagement, run in such a way to obtain it. Just like a runner and how focused they are in trying to get that first place prize and the effort that they make in that way, engage life for the purpose that God has bestowed upon it. Leverage life. Use life to teach you about the real race. The real race. Run with an aim. But to run with an aim, because Paul will tell us, you know, don't run aimlessly, so run with an aim. To run with an aim, you have to know the race that you are in. And so that's the question about race. What race? What race? When I was uh, in high school, yes, Ava and Jackie, I was in high school at one time. (laughs) And I ran track. Uh, But I was never in one particular event because I wasn't uh, good, uh, I should say, I wasn't great, nor was I good, but (laughs) um, he would put me in whatever event we could score points. Yes, maybe we didn't have a runner in one particular event. Now, typically, you know, I might be in the 100, the 440, the 880 hurdles. Before a meet, I would go up to him and say, hey, coach, what, what did you enter me in? What race? Well, we need you uh, in the 880. Uh, we measured things in yards back in the old days versus meters. 
Okay, 880. How important was it for me to know the race I'm in? I mean, use your imagination and just have a little fun with that. Think if I thought I was um, running the 880, but it was a 100-yard dash. Think of the pace that I would start out with, thinking, okay, I got two laps. I better uh, store up some energy for the end. And I see all these foolish people go darting with all their energy so quickly. Because I thought it was the 880, but it was really the 100-yard dash. We're thinking I was running the 400, and it was the hurdles. I'm running the 400, and I'm going, who put all these obstacles in my way? <laughs> I, I, the race that Paul is talking about, you need to know what it is. And the scripture tells us it's for the pursuit of that which is imperishable. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we engage for an imperishable. Scripture uses terminology that teaches there are things in life that are perishable and other things imperishable. Paul is saying the race you are in, the race to engage in, the race that you exert effort like a runner trying to gain that perishable wreath, Pursue it, just like that athlete, for the imperishable. Uh, that's why I have my box here this morning. Kind of to help remind us, because I think we're all accustomed to this. This box was laying on our porch this week. And you see this bright yellow emblem? Some of you might be able to read it. It says, perishable. It says, perishable. Courtney, this was laying right on our porch, and I saw that, and that yellow jumped out at me. And the minute I saw that, I go, oh boy, uh, we better get to this right away. Don't put it off on a shelf and forget about it, or in a closet, or a storage room, uh, but you better uh, give it due diligence. And so quickly, Connie and I opened it up. And amongst it, you know, there's all these soggy kind of newspapers and uh, other kind of uh, things to absorb water. And voila, these incredible flowers from Hawaii. Some friends wanted to uh, celebrate with us. We have things that are perishable all around us that we love. And we tend to pursue those. And understandably so, because... Perishable things are beautiful. They taste good. They look gorgeous. And we are to enjoy them and celebrate them and fully uh, engage and enter into them. But always keeping in mind that they point to something greater. Far beyond that our minds can even imagine. That's what uh, this array can 
demonstrate to us. Enjoy it for its beauty, but allow yourself to contemplate the imperishable and what that will look like someday. 2 Corinthians expresses it this way. Again, the writer Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. Let me read that again, since I took a break there. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We can only imagine what the imperishable is going to look like. We look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's the race, the pursuit of the imperishable. But what's the finish line? What's the end? What's the end? You've got to know the end so that you don't. What verse 26 tells us, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. If you don't know what the end is, you're running aimlessly. Well, I feel like I'll, I'll do, run this way this morning, and then I'm going to run that way. Yeah, you, if you don't know what the end is, it's everybody's guess. You have to know the end where the finish line is, so that you can run strategically with purpose. Again, you heard me recount my testimony that in my younger years, Derek, in my younger years, Derek, I was a runner. And uh, some of us here at church ran the hood to coast, didn't we, Ben? Pastor Ben was our worship pastor. He was my running buddy. And Somehow we thought, hey, hey, I think us pastoral people could run the hood to coast with the other team members here from uh, uh, Faith, and uh, I did it twice. And um, we knew the finish line was at Seaside, Oregon, on the beach, and we knew the start was up at Timberline Lodge. However, our first time. Uh, you're in a van with five other runners, and one is running uh, their leg of this race, while the others in the van are getting ahead to the next drop-off spot to be there at the exchange to pass the baton, in essence, and they would run their leg. So the people in the van have to get to that destination to be ready for the next runner. And after we left Scapoose, Oregon, uh, granted it started to get uh, early in the morning because this is over, uh, well, our team um, probably 30-some yeah, hours or um, long, almost to the point where they uh, tell you, hey, pick up and it's over. <laughs> but you get up into these coastal mountains, you've been deprived of sleep, uh, things are a little bit fuzzy. We hadn't done this before. 
And it's easy to get confused when you start getting up there in the mountain range, you know, around Mist, Oregon, and, and the Elk uh, Refuge out there. And uh, you get to a junction, and you go, uh, uh, left or right, you know, left, left or right. Well, follow the van in front or the vehicle in front. So we did. But then after a while, since we knew where the finish line was, we realized we were heading east, away from Seaside. <laughs> That's not good. So, we quickly got turned around and um, got back on course because we knew the finish line. In the race Paul is talking about, the finish line is something very unusual. Very unusual to our thinking because it's not a place, but a person. With the person, you get the place thrown in on top of it. Let me explain with a love story. A true love story because it's It's my love story. When Connie and I dated during our early college years, I was in Eugene, and she was attending Western Oregon University. It went by, undoubtedly, a different name back in those old days. We oldsters like to joke about all the name changes. Sally, wherever you are, who worked there. Um, so I was in Eugene, and Connie was, oh, incredibly, what, 60, 70 miles away? That was like across the United States of America in my 17-year-old mind or 18-year-old mind. And in those days, boys and girls, we used to take out pen and paper and do it the hard way and, and practice our either print or cursive and write these letters on paper and then stick it in an envelope, and then lick a, maybe a 10-cent stamp, I'm not sure if it's cheaper than that, and put it in the mail. And then maybe two or three days later, we would get it, and man, when I got a letter from Connie, I would devour it, savor it, read it several times. Boy. Um... Those methods of communication. Oh, you know, another way we communicated back in the old days. Now get this. Coin-operated telephones. <laughs> yeah, some of you are, what? coin -op Yeah, yeah, in the hallway of a dormitory, at least the one I was in, there was this thing stuck on the wall that was called a coin-operated telephone. And if you had money, you would get out your coins, like maybe a nickel, a dime, or a quarter. You would stick it in there, and based on how much you put in there is how long you got to talk. And when you're in love, you know, conversations aren't short. So it was a good thing they were coin operated because it cut you off. Boy, those times were important because that was our way to communicate. And I savored, and those were all important, but my, oh my, they did not compare 
to the weekend when I might be able to venture and go to Monmouth and see her face to face. Wow. It did not matter whether we would go to the beach, to the mountains, whether we would go to a football game or a movie, or even <clears throat> shopping. <laughs> I enjoyed them all for one reason. I was with Connie, the one I love. Whenever we went, whatever we did, we thoroughly immersed ourselves in the beauty around us. We engaged in the venture by doing things new. It did not matter because I was with her. Each activity, each place we went was enjoyed, but it did not surpass the greatest enjoyment of being with Connie. One writer talks about it as icing on the cake. Being with Connie was icing on the cake. The location or place was the cake. It doesn't devalue the cake in one bit. It elevates the prize, that which is a, a surpassing greatness. The finish line is not a place, but a person. And that's what the scripture talks about. The finish line is being with God. Is being with God. However, the finish line has other surprises. Because not only is it not a place, but a person, it's really not a finish line or an end, but it's a beginning. It's a new beginning. Being with God is icing on the cake, and all else is the cake. Heaven is the cake which often gets our highest uh, um, attention. But the icing is God himself. Now for some, that kind of finish line may not be appealing because of how we project onto God the hurt and disappointment we have in this life and how we uh, tend to view God through this lens It would be as foolish if I did that with that love and affection I have for Connie. Paul in Hebrews 12, when he uses this same metaphor of running a race, he tells the uh, readers there, throw off every encumbrance that entangles us. Running the race to win means throwing off mistaken notions about God that we have allowed, like barnacles, attach themselves to us. And we start then to uh, have that perspective, thinking that 
That is how God is. And it's merely our perception. It gets formed by poor examples. We read about the finish line in Revelations 21, 3 to 5. And it will tell us it's not the end, but the beginning. It kind of tells us this life is a pre-race or a warm-up. Look at these words in Revelations 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the perishable things, the transient things have passed away. Run the race to the end. The reason this talk was important to me, uh, to Connie, as we shared, was... Because retirement is not the end. Retirement is not the end. It's not the end uh, graduating from school or getting your dream job or marriage, having a family. That's not the end. Each stage of life is merely a milepost, a milepost that can be enjoyed and celebrated. But press forward. Press forward. Not faster, but deeper. Even death is not the end, but the doorway to a new beginning. Now run the race as a runner, seeking to get first place with aim and purpose. In the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that story, that this father, and it was a parable that is meant to teach a heavenly um, uh, value, a heavenly truth by using a earthly context that would help people to understand. And so he, he uses this uh, uh, father that had two sons and the younger son wanted his inheritance. He takes it, his inheritance, he squanders it and he becomes homeless. And he realized, well, even his servants, my father's servants, are better off than I am, I will ask my father, I'll go back to my father and ask if he will take me back in as a servant. As a servant. The son goes back. He runs back to his father, not with speed. The son goes back, not with speed, but with a depth. Because he realizes and confesses the truth about himself. At that point, he takes a step towards his father. In this story, there's only one who runs in a conventional way as we think it. There's only one who runs with speed, who runs fast. 
And that is the Father. He runs and embraces, the scripture says, embraces his son and has compassion on him. Your race, your part of the race, is not running with speed because you can't possibly run that fast. But depth. Run the race that you may obtain it with a depth. Retirement's not the end of the race for me or for Connie or for you because there are depths to knowing God that are at fathoms where no man has gone. It's lifelong. Wherever you are on this continuum of what does it mean to have this relationship with a creator that's in eternal, I can only be faithful, my part, in running this race to the end is to be faithful like the prodigal son is to move towards God to confess the truth about myself by taking a step towards God. All races are ran the same way with a first step or the next step. The question is whether that next step will be away from God or towards God. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not contemplated and pondered and looked into uh, Jesus Christ, run towards God, not faster, but deeper by looking at the evidence, the historical the literary, the archaeological, philosophical evidence for the claims of Jesus Christ. Particularly the resurrection. Because if Jesus Christ defied death, if he did something that no man can do, it should convince us about this imperishable realm. I would say that would be a step toward God. Not that you're embracing him, but you're considering that God, like the father and the prodigal, so desires that he's running after us that he took on flesh and became human so that we could identify and see what this true God of Scripture really is, how he really is. Encapsulate it within Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, run towards God, not faster, but deeper. By aligning yourself in a greater measure with the ways of Jesus Christ. So, you know, yeah, retirement is a milepost it's going to signal quite a change, but some things won't change, and that is that pursuit. Just as, you know, just as difficult it is, sometimes I look at Connie and I go, do I really know her? 
you know, there are some aspects. I've been a pastor 38 years. I've been married 48. And I can still say there are some uh, regions and uh, getting to know another person is a challenge. So think about that challenge and the effort, how you want to engage in it so that you can come to know them. And like one writer says, you know, to know another human being is one thing, but then to contemplate this idea of knowing God, it just short circuits all the fuses in your brain. That's why scripture sometimes just says, imagine, ponder, contemplate one of the tools of somebody who runs the race. Thank you for being hospitable. Let me pray. Father, we give you thanks. Hmm. We're all in this together, God, um, wherever we are, because we're human with all the mixed bag that is in front of us in this world. Uh, perishable things are beautiful, but we also can see what man has done and has um, turned good things into bad things. Help us to keep our focus on the imperishable, that this world is fleeting. Our bodies certainly shout that to us. God, you are good. God, you are good. Despite our uncertainty in light of the life we experience, God, you are good. And whether we understand or not that you are in control, because your eyes is on this finish line, this finish line that exceeds, that transcends this perishable world where we read that there will be a new heaven and new earth and things will be imperishable and that you will dwell there with us. God, may we keep our eyes on that finish line that gives us hope for today. Amen.